Remember, I had six points. I only preached the first point and ran out of time. And so I decided to continue it till today. And uh, obviously it had a great impact because about 30% of our church did not come back this Sunday. So obviously they were on the edge of their seat from last week to this week. But it's all right. A lot of people had already planned to be gone. So they're just going to have to either buy the CD or get it from you. You're going to have to preach it to them or give them the notes. Proverbs 3, we see six benefits of obeying and serving God. We're going to look at it again today here, picking up where we left off. Look at verse number 1, though. Proverbs 3, verse 1. It says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and moral to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold." She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. We'll stop there. Brother Paul, we're praying continually for your mother. And it's good to see you today. Would you lead us in a word of prayer?
there's no telling what I could have been if my weren't. No, 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 no. Who knows what I could have accomplished with my life if my creativity had not been destroyed by all the notes. No, you can't play with your dad's hunting knife. No, you can't play with gasoline. No, you can't play with matches. No, you can't play. No, you can't run with scissors. I mean, no, all the time. No, you can't have chocolate cake for dinner. Eat your fruit. Eat your vegetables. I mean, my mom destroyed. She wrecked my life. I'm angry about it. No, there's no doubt. Those no's were for our benefit. By the same token, God's no's are our benefit. His laws, his rules, they're there to make us happier. Then he says that, that peace shall be added to thee. And we covered this, but God gives us peace. Just living a holy life is a peaceful life. There's a lot of people who their life is unhealthy because their peace is disturbed. I read in the news this week, two people, two Hollywood stars. It was one last Sunday, now there's two this week, took their own lives. Shocking everybody, because if money could buy happiness, they would be the happiest peoples on the planet. And yet, privately, they were not happy. They had no peace. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want to read the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to encourage you to do so. The richest man who ever lived in the history of the world was also the same man that wrote the book of Proverbs. That man's name is Solomon. Solomon was, he was Bill Gates rich, man. And I'm going to tell you something. He points out that there can be no joy outside of God's will. All these things that he had were never the source of his happiness. Where he only found peace, where he only found joy, where he only found contentment, was in the knowledge that one day he'd be with God. That's the reality. And beloved, listen to me. If you're searching for joy and peace, get in the will of God. Now, let's look at the second benefit here. Look at verse number three. It says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. In verse three and four, God gives us the benefit of being merciful and honest people. Did you catch that there in verse 3? He says, let not mercy and truth, underline that word, mercy and truth. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Now he gives the benefit there in verse 4. He tells what to do, then he tells you why to do it. So shalt thou find favor. What is favor? It's being liked above others. It's being trusted above others. It's having a reputation that stands out because you are outstanding. You have favor. There are people in our life that we will do things for that we would not do for other people. How many of you can think of people in your life that have favor with you? I mean, if they came to you and asked for something, you would consider it, you would do it for them, when everybody else you just simply say no to. How does a person find favor? Sometimes they're born into it. Sometimes it's simply because there are children. Or maybe it's a niece or a nephew or a brother-in-law or sister. Sometimes we do favor for people because we are related and somehow feel a responsibility. But there are many people that we have no obligation towards. We have no debt to pay back. We have no reason to help them except that they find favor in our life. We want to help them. Well, God says that if you are a person of mercy 
and honesty, you will find favor among men. So we see here benefit number one to being merciful and being an honest person. He says benefit number one, you're going to have, you're going to be liked by men. You're going to find favor among men. You're going to be held in respect and honor. You're going to be held favorable among the people you share this planet with. I want you to join with me. Look at what else in Proverbs 22, verse 1. Turn over there quickly. I want you to get your pen and underline this verse. Notice what Solomon says concerning having favor among men, the value of it, the benefit of it. There's a great benefit in having favor among men. Great benefit. Now notice what it said here in verse 1. Are you all with me this morning? Is everybody awake? Who says, preacher, you're preaching too loud. You're disturbing my nap. Nobody. Good. All right. I asked the teenagers. I preached at a youth conference Friday. I said, how many of you have ever heard me preach? And a bunch of them raised their hand. And I said, and how many of you can't believe you've got to listen to me again? And my own church kids. Demaya, Atara, Savannah. All of them raised their hand. Hurt me. Hurt me bad. Notice this, Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, this is coming from an authority on the topic. He had the silver and gold. Solomon had all of that. That man lived in a very luscious life. But he said, I'm going to tell you what's more important than all that. Having a good name, having a good reputation, having favor among the people you share life with. And he says to just simply be loved. You know, one of the struggles that wealthy people often deal with is that they don't really know if people love them or their money. You know, some people, their life has been destroyed by fortune. Sometimes people play the lottery, and once in a while, somebody will win big, and they'll win millions and millions of dollars. You know, you can do studies on some of that. Sometimes success ruins people more than failure. Sometimes riches can bring more misery than poverty. Sometimes there's more joy in wanting things than the act of having the things that you always wanted. And yet, sometimes you'll hear people of great wealth complain that their nieces, their nephews, their children, their sons, their daughters only call when they need money. I hadn't heard from my sister in 20 years, but she called me this week and asked for 10 grand. She doesn't care nothing about me. She just, I'd never hear from her if I didn't have money. Well, the reality is people with money often are left with a struggle of wondering, do people really care about me? And, and we see that he says, hey, better than silver and gold is to just have love in your life and to have people in your life that truly care about you and to have a good name, to be loved and respected and to be spoken well of. How do you get that? Well, the Bible tells us that one of the best ways to be loved among the people you share life with, to have favor among men, is to be a merciful person. Merciful person. Well, we're so hard on each other sometimes. We are quick to throw the book at people. Listen, I preach righteousness, and I believe we need to live a life that pleases God. But that doesn't make us qualified to be the judge of other people. 
only one we need to be judging is the one who's in the mirror looking back at us every morning. Sometimes I hate it, and I, I fear it in my own life. Sometimes I fear it in preaching. I, I don't want people to ever feel this way when they hear me preach. But I preach that sin is sin. I preach that wrong is wrong and that we need to live a life of righteousness. And I try to help you all understand some things that we call standards, which are just boundaries that you set for yourself. It's not up for me to set those boundaries. It's not up for Brother Xavier to set those boundaries. It's not up for Sunday school teachers and, and, and deacons and trustees. It's not up to them to set them. You need to set your boundary. But often I'll preach and teach the benefit of boundaries in your life. Why? Because there is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. I don't know about you, but if I lived in Africa where there were roaring lions, I would put a fence around my yard that would keep the lion out. Especially if my children are playing out there. Man, I heard a horrible story this week about a lady here in Florida. Some of you probably read it. She was out walking her dogs, and, and somebody said they heard you know, something like a ruckus, and they, they said suddenly they looked, and, and the dogs were there. She was not. They walked over to investigate. One of the dogs had a big gash on its side. They looked, and you could tell there was a disturbance at the water's edge. They came in later. They killed a 12-foot-long alligator. When they cut it open, they found the woman's arm inside of its stomach. They did investigate later. They found the remains of this lady. Man, I'll tell you something. If I lived along that lake, if I had a house on that lake, you can bet I would want some, some fencing and some boundaries and some things to keep that on the other side. Amen? The Bible says that there's a predator out there, and he's on the loose, and he wants to destroy your life. And, I mean, I'm constantly preaching, y'all, to get off that line and put the boundaries, put a fence between you and the devil who seeks to ruin your life. But here's the reality. So often, this is the case among Christians. When we start achieving this, and we start to feel that we're, we're becoming more holy and more righteous, here's the danger. We become very pharisaical. We become very judgmental. We become very intolerant. We become often very unloving. I'm going to tell you something. Some of the most holy churches I've ever preached in were some of the most unwelcoming churches I've ever preached in, where many of the people had such a high opinion of their holiness and their spirituality that they get to the point they don't even want sinners in their church. They don't even want lost people to come and get saved. They don't want that guy with, with the long hair in the back row. They don't want that woman coming in that doesn't look like them. They don't want that person with the past to come in here and, and, and you know, bring this into their... Listen, we don't want to ever, ever become that. We've got to watch ourselves. The Bible says that Jesus ate among sinners. It wasn't that Jesus was a sinner. Jesus felt the best way to reach them was to go to them. Reality is, sometimes as a church, we're going to have to reach people that are on, some of them involved in some bad sin. And the best way for us to clean them up is to get them out of the gutter. Sometimes that requires us to be merciful people and to be understanding. And when a fellow brother or sister is struggling with spirituality, instead of wanting to form a whipping line in front of the church to whip them out, we need to form a prayer line to pray them in. Boy, that's hard. So hard. Where does that thin line go between tolerance and excusing of sin? 
I feel that as long as I see people that are trying and they're struggling, but they're trying, and I see that tear in their eye, and I see that bended knee in the altar, even though I may see that they struggle throughout the week with their spirituality as a pastor, when I'm watching them growing, maybe they're not what they should be, but listen, they sure weren't what they used to be. I love that man in the Bible who was blind and Jesus touched his eye. Rubbed a little dirt in his eye, amen? They all got with him. They said, what in the world happened to you? And he, he said, I don't know. And he said, tell us what happened. I mean, we're hearing that this Jesus touched you, and, and that can't be true. That, that's a much, much junk. And the Pharisees were gathered around. And they said, tell us what happened to you. And that old, that old man looked up and said, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is one thing. I was blind, but now I can see. Some of you are like that guy. Lord got a hold of your life, rubbed a little dirt in your eye through preaching. You ever have, feel like I've rubbed some dirt in your face? Just got you and spit in your eye. You don't even think about it. He spit in dirt and rubbed it in the guy's eye, man. Some of you feel like I spit in your eye every week. Man, I feel like a preacher just spat in my eye. Some of you, I literally have spat in your eye. You've sat on the front. Heather doesn't know it. She's new around here. That's the splash zone, you know. Good preacher. You ain't preached if you ain't spitting sometimes, you know. And, and it usually can get about to the third. You notice that our church looks like a, a horseshoe? You notice that? You ever notice that there's hardly anybody here? That's because they've learned. They're wise. They say, man, I'm getting out of the splash zone here. She's like, man, I'm going to sit somewhere else next week. No, you're safe. Reality is, listen, I'm going to preach against sin, and I'm going to preach hard against sin, and I'm going to call sin, sin, and I'm going to call it out, but I do not want you to ever be confused that preacher loves sinners. And that as a church, we want sinners to come here where they can get cleaned up, get cleaned up. And we need to be merciful people. We need to be people of mercy. Mercy is one of the greatest trademarks of Christianity. Now, mercy, it's not weakness. It takes a lot of strength to be a merciful person. It's a lot easier to be spiteful and vengeful than it is to be merciful and forgiving. The stronger person is the merciful person. I love what, I had a preacher here the other day that preached for us, Brother Larry Branham, and he was in men's class, and he taught my men's class, and he, he said we use the word mercy and grace interchangeably a lot, but they're not the same word, and they obviously do not mean the same thing. Then he explained the difference. How many of you guys were in the room, you heard that? Wasn't that amazing, Brother Howard? Mercy and grace. Mercy is what God gives us when he forgave us. Mercy is whenever you don't give people what they deserve. So you ought to write that down. What is mercy? It's simply when you don't give them what they deserve. That's mercy. They deserve to lose my friendship, yeah, but the merciful person won't give them what they deserve. They deserve to be kicked out, yeah, they probably do, but the merciful church won't give them what they deserve if they're willing to repent and get right. That person hurt me. They don't deserve a relationship with me. I know, I know. I, you're, you can make the case, and you're probably right. They get what they deserve. That's what they'll get. The merciful person says, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. What is grace then? They're not the same thing. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Here's what grace is then. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. 
Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve, and grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Not a one of us deserve heaven. That's God's grace. All of us deserve hell. That's God's mercy. Mercy says you're not going to hell, and grace says you get to go to heaven. Isn't that awesome? I love it. love it. I'm going to tell you something. It takes a lot of strength to be a graceful, merciful person. So why do it? Well, there's a benefit to it. Same reason I'm drinking apple cider vinegar in the morning. I feel like I just drank battery acid. Why we've got to do it? You'll find favor among men. You'll find favor among men. You'll have the good name, which is to be chosen above even riches. You'll be loved among your fellow people. It takes strength. People respect a merciful person. And then he says, you'll find favor. And then he says, here's the second benefit. Good understanding in the sight of God and man. Good understanding there. He's saying you'll find trust. Good understanding. You'll have trust. Not just between man, which is important. How many of you want people to trust you and to, to value you? But you know what? He says, you'll find it with God as well. You'll find it with God if you are truthful. Now, we see mercy goes with the first benefit. You'll find favor among men. And then he says that, that truth, honesty, you'll have good understanding in the sight of God and man. Anybody in here ever dealt with a lying person? A person that just lies all the time? Listen to me, listen to me. I'd rather deal with ten drunks than one liar. I would rather employ a drug addict than a liar. That's strong, isn't it? Let me tell you about liars. There is no boundary that holds them in. Whatever they believe is what they say, and what they behold is the truth that they understand. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says that if you are a truthful person, you'll have good understanding. People will trust in your word. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest compliments you'll ever receive in your life. If they say something of this nature, if Brother Woody said it, then it must be true. No further explanation needed. Boy, it takes a long time of trust to make it to that point. Let me tell you where you'll really start seeing promotion when you have good understanding with your boss versus, man, I don't know if they're going to show up or not. He told me he was going to take care of it, but I don't know, man. I've been burned before. And that boss lays awake all night, worried to death if you're going to get the project done or not. You get good understanding with your boss, you're going to rise up the ladder. Bosses sometimes would prefer trustworthy people even over more talented people. A lot of bosses have people they just cannot trust. You're an honest person. Listen, how many of you wives would like to have a handsome husband who you couldn't trust versus an average husband that you could trust? Which one would you pick? Amen, Brother Woody. Reality is, 
You would choose to have the best friend be a poor, humble person who's trustworthy than a super rich person who you have no trust with. The Bible says that if you're merciful, you'll find good favor. People will, by the way, you know what I believe about mercy? I believe that when a man has shown himself to be merciful, he'll receive mercy. Well, I tell you something, ma'am. You get up, you have kids. You know what you're hoping for? That people handle your kids with mercy. You hope that. You hope that if something ever happens, as a pastor, I, I don't know, I, I have good preacher friends who have pastored churches that were very unmerciful, unkind churches. I mean, buddy, whipping lines would form quickly. And then all of a sudden, that pastor, one of his kids gets in trouble. And that pastor that often was so hard and so unmerciful and, and so just ready to throw the book at those church members, suddenly it's his teenage daughter that's in trouble. You know what he wants more than anything in the world? He wants people to just wrap their arms around him. Say, it's all right. We'll get through this. It's okay. God still loves you. We still love you. The last thing he wants is for them to be shunned and to be treated like they're now lepers and to be treated like they're unworthy. That they should cry unclean as they walk into the church. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The only way to have that is to be merciful to other people. And the Bible warns us that we need to be careful because sometimes while we're talking about the little speck in our neighbor's eye, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we got a beam coming out of our own. I, I praise the Lord. You know, I, I, my three children, I, at this point in their life, they serve the Lord and haven't made me too upset. Amen. There was that time Savannah dropped my pizza. Horrible, horrible memory, wasn't it? And we, we were hungry. My wife had just given birth to Julian. It's on me to provide meals. So I did. I went to Little Caesars and bought pizza. It was late Sunday night. I was tired. I had an armload of stuff. And I said, Savannah, can you carry in this pizza? She carries it about two foot and drops it. And you know, Murphy's Law is always true with pizza. It could fall with the box lid staying shut. It's all right, a little smashed, you know. No, it doesn't fall that way. The lid pops open, the pizza falls on the ground. It doesn't work with sand, brother. And cheese. But outside of that one incident, you've been a pretty good girl. <laughs> I don't know. My, my kids are all young. And I don't know what the future. I praise the Lord. I haven't, haven't had anything that has kept me up too much at night. But I'm going to tell you something, church. If there ever is a time one of my kids does something that breaks mommy and I's heart, I hope you'll remember that there's times I wrap my arms around your kids. I hope you'll remember the times I sat in a room with you and heard your struggles and problems and, and loved you. Now, there's been times like every pastor where I've had to draw a line. There are people that I felt were hurting us more than we were helping them. But I'm going to tell you, anybody that knows the whole story knows that it was a line way. These people had done a lot of damage before I finally had to say, look, maybe another church could fill your needs a little better. It's never been my heart. It's never been my heart. And boy, I pray. I know handling a school, boy, that, that sometimes I had to make the horrible decision to expel kids. Man, I hated doing that. Never once did I walk away feeling like a winner. I always felt like we lost, and we lost big. 
because it's a whole person now being thrown away. Miss Cassie, you worked in the school. You know there's times we had to do it. Man, I never wanted And sometimes these teachers would get frustrated with me because where they dealt with them eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, I didn't have to deal with them on that level. Sometimes they had already hit that point because they spent way more time with them individually. Sometimes, I mean, literally, there's teachers saying, I cannot even teach my class with this kid in it. And then I would give them a good talking to, warnings, and then send them back. And they felt like, ah, oh, preacher's not watching our back. But then there were times that I had to make that decision. Boy, I hate that. Because you know what I fear? I fear that there may be people out there who are just watching and waiting for their chance to be the judge in my life. It's not a job I ever wanted. I like ministering to people, not managing people. But the reality is, I hope that our church spirit is one of mercy while we still stand strong on the things of God. Beloved, we're out of time. Once again, I'm not getting too far in this sermon, but I feel our time has been well spent. I want you to bow your heads.